Here's a riddle. What do a car, a chair, and a horse have in common? Tesla. Not the car. The man. Hey, it's Marco Pelosi III, and this is the Top Cosmetic Gynecologist Podcast. It was Nikolas Tesla, the man, the genius Serbian physicist and engineer, who over a century ago perfected the electromagnet and laid the groundwork for what would later become integral to a car, a therapeutic chair for incontinence, and the therapy for aches and pains and wound healing in horses and humans alike. And it's a therapy that we are going to examine today. Six months ago, I pulled a muscle in my back. Severely. My pain level was a 7 out of 10. And as I was writhing on the couch, my wife came over and said, try this. She placed a thick plastic coil over my back and connected it to a device. And she turned it on. For the next 10 minutes, the coil delivered periodic clicks that made my muscles twitch. And when it was over, my pain level was a 2. That is pulsed electromagnetic field therapy. P-E-M-F, or PEMF, as it's frequently called. And that specific example is only the tip of the iceberg. With me today is Pat Ziemer, via Skype, from California. Pat is the CEO of MagnaWave, and this is the company that makes and markets the device that I use and that my wife uses on our horses, our friends, our family, and our pets. Hey, Pat, it's good to have you here. Uh, What are you doing in California? Hey, Marco, thank you. It's, uh, it's nice to be here. Uh, I'm in California, a little business and pleasure, but uh, we're out here to uh, interview tomorrow with uh, Jack Canfield, uh, Chicken Soup for the Soul guy. Uh, he's doing a series on success and successful businesses and how people uh, use various tools and tactics to uh, grow their business. And he's invited us to come out and participate in this program. So we're excited about that. That's fantastic, Pat. That's really, really nice to hear. I want to thank you for taking the time to talk about this technology and how it's being used for people in the medical world and everywhere else. People who might not be familiar with it or might have some misconceptions about what it is and what it does. So first off, what's inside that box that my wife used on me? Okay, uh, Nicola... Tesla really developed the first power usage of PEMF or of magnetic energy. For thousands of years, they used magnets, static magnets, to help influence the body in various conditions. But Nikola Tesla really put it together. And what he did is he put together a system of capacitors, diodes, resistors, and with a mathematical equation, he could pump electricity into the box and then out of the box with a coil produce a magnetic field that will penetrate the body or penetrate the airspace and uh, as we say uh, work its uh, work its magic today so basically it's a it's a combination of of normal stuff but capacitors diodes resistors uh, electric switches and so forth now this technology in in the way that it's being used uh, by your company and, and by people in the PEMF industry. Uh, When did that sort of application and that sort of device come out? Well, again, going back to Tesla in the late 1800s and early 1900s, he was doing a lot of experimentation with, uh, again, magnetic fields and what they could do. And he really produced some of the first devices. Well, at about that same time, the AMA uh, removed uh, magnetic therapy and along with other 
um, modalities out of mainline medicine in the United States. In, in Europe and other countries, though, it became mainline medicine and has been used uh, for years and years and years. But that's where it all, all started. In the United States, it's a little slower than that. It really got its kick in the United States with NASA and how they utilized the uh, therapy for astronauts returning from space. So, so NASA has been using this for, for how long? Well, in 1957, you know, and on the first space flights, Yuri Gagorian, the Russian astronaut, uh, basically died from the results of what they called space sickness uh, after he returned from space. What happened is they would have, uh, le uh, lo they would lose bone density, they would have muscle atrophication, they would have ma uh, magnetic imbalance in their body, and if you take the magnetic and magnetic signal away from our body, we die. And, and it's, that, it's that important to the health of our body just to have the normal Earth's magnetic fields uh, applied to the body. And so NASA got involved. Uh, Schumann, uh, Dr. Otto Schumann, or he's a physicist, uh, Schumann actually mathematically predicted and put this resonance, what became known as the Schumann resonance, together to basically the astronauts would come back, they could apply these magnetic fields immediately and they could reverse the, the atrophication or the beginning of the atrophication of the muscles, improve bone density, improve overall oxygen, blood oxygenation to the body in a very normal manner at that time to basically reverse the effects of, of space sickness. And that's where it all started in the United States. It all kind of moved from that. that that's impressive. I mean, if, if you can improve bone mass, uh, that's, that's huge because that's a problem everybody goes through as they age, and big fractures are, are incapacitating. Now, Pat, you and I operate in overlapping but slightly different worlds. How popular is this technology in the industries that you're involved with, and where have you observed the greatest growth in the past few years? Well, when I first started um, back in 2002, I began using PEMF technology. It was low power technology, and we were using it uh, uh, for the health of, of horses uh, on the racetracks, and it would relax them and make them feel better and promote some healing, but it was very slow. But it worked. It was kind of based on what Schumann did with the astronauts. It was just a slow application of, of the energy. When I really got involved with the higher power stuff, which is basically what we're discussing today, was in 2006 and 2007. As my, as my experience grew and I became introduced, to, I was introduced to other modalities and other devices. And what I found was a high powered machine. They originally brought it over from Greece. And then it was re-engineered in the United States, and but it, it was not friendly. And I was in the horse world, and it was not friendly uh, to horses in how it was handled. Uh, it was always emitting at the highest power possible, which is kind of uncomfortable at some times. And, and so I didn't like that, but I found the device, and I repackaged it, and we... Uh, engineered it in such a manner that you could actually place these coils right on the animals, apply this energy and see um, immediate results. And, and so what, what happened was, is I could take a horse, put this coil on their shoulder or their neck or their body for 15 or 20 minutes, and the rider would get on the horse and come back later and say, my God, the horse changed its direction like it hasn't for six months. The horse had a better range of motion, so it was able to jump the jumps uh, smoother. Uh, it took the edge off the horse, and he was calmer. So we did all these things, and it was immediate. 95% of the time, I'd treat this animal. They would get on it and go, and they'd come back and say, my God, it's better right now. And that's what really did it. As we, as we know, we're in, a, we're in an age of instant gratification, and people want that. If I can have the result now, I want it. And, and that's where we've seen the exponential growth uh, of what has happened. Now, over the years, at first, and I hope I don't go too long here, but at first, we were, it was all pre-event. Help me, help me run faster. Help me jump higher. Help my horse turn better. Help this, these things happen. And all that was great. But then as we continued to mature, I kept saying, wait a minute, help your, health, your horse recover. Run the race, jump the jump, do what you're doing, but now let's treat it and cut its recovery time down so, it's, so it can heal more rapidly and be in a better position for competition or whatever you're doing with the animal. 
And so that's where we've seen just the real change from all pre-event to healing and, or the aid in healing and, and the recovery periods. I, I can attest to that personally. I, I was able not to turn my head before a session until be able to turn it after the session. I couldn't turn my head to the left when I was driving my car. Um, my wife, who, who has been working with the horses, is echoing basically what you just said, and, and so are her friends. And uh, you know, once they see the animal respond instantly, they they'll hop onto the to the machine and they'll have something on a bad shoulder, a bad knee. And as you know, people in the horse industry are broken. They have all sorts of injuries. And, uh, you know, so what's what's good for the rider and, and good for the horse. It's pretty amazing that uh, a technology like this has, has so much utility. It, it, absolutely. And what was really interesting is you were talking about your wife and doing the horses and then the riders. What I did at the beginning in order to get them to allow me to do the horses, I had to treat the riders. And my line became, how's your knee? How's your back? You know, what's going on? And they'd say, oh, all of, as you said, my back is sore. My shoulder is sore. I twisted this. And I would be able to treat them for eight to 10 minutes. They'd feel better. And they'd say, yeah, go treat my horse then they'd ride that horse and it just changed the game. I mean, it literally changed the game. Yes, that's amazing. And it's, it's drug-free. I mean, what, what more would you want? Um, Pat, yes, I was going to ask you about the power settings and, and, and the units that are used to, to, uh, to define that. So what, what's considered high power in, in a treatment uh, versus low power versus what's been used in the past that was too strong? Well, okay, um, low power would be something that you don't feel. There are, the initial stuff that was developed in the United States and around the world because they had the capability and the, the engineering to understand that, they made low power devices, meaning they emitted maybe 50 gauss worth of energy or 35 gauss worth of very low gauss delivery, but it was a good magnetic field and it did do its job. High power is when you start getting into the thousands of gauss, 1,000, 5,000, 10,000 gauss of delivered energy uh, to the area that we're approaching. So one is called low voltage, low frequency, which would be the low power devices that you don't feel. And then the other one would be uh, high voltage, low frequency, which would be what, what we use, which came over as the Papimi machine from Greece. Uh, and again, the, the primary difference is speed. That, that's, that's the deal. They both do the same thing. But if you want something to help you in seven minutes, it's going to be a high power device as opposed to a low power device. Now, is the high power the same frequency or it's a higher frequency? Well, the frequency, when we talk about frequency and PEMF, we're not talking about a radio frequency. We're talking about frequency of delivery. And, and so you do get a little bit into the Hertz area, but basically we're talking about frequency of clicks. You're familiar with the clicks. Yes. And, and so that's, that's how we basically discuss it. We don't talk about, and with some devices in, in the medical world, they'll say turn it up to 35 35 hertz or 7 hertz or a frequency of 14 or a frequency of 50. You, you, can, you can do that, but in ours, it's the speed of the clicking. What, what's different with our device is that the signal starts and stops. It fires and stops. It fires and stops. It does not a continual wave like a sine wave. The low power units are sine waves. Ours are start and stop waves. And what that does is that produces a powerful enough signal that actually penetrates the cellular membrane, allowing for better oxygen uptake, uh, protein uptake, and, and release of toxins and so forth. We basically allow the cell or help the cell become healthier so it can better do its job. All right. Now, this, this leads me right into my next question. Um, I've done a bit of research on this technology, and this is straight out of the PubMed database. It says that PEMF is known to have vasodilatory, anti-inflammatory, and antioxidant actions. And this is what we, we seek in wound healing. Have you had any experience with the use of this technology in wound healing? Uh, yes. Um, just by 
and, and, and you just said it, and what I kind of described earlier, by when MagnaWave it, it approaches the body and helps the cellular makeup be healthier, then it, it can allow the wounds to heal in a more uniform and a speedier process in, in many cases. It, it's not been unusual for us to have an open wound and for us to treat over it, and the wound closes or the wound begins to frost over, if you will, uh, in a more uniform, smoother fashion, which is why it's used a lot for in the in the equine world, and now we're using it a lot in the in the um, uh, plastic surgery world for inflammation reduction and pain relief. But we've and and so in in the in the racing world, when when a horse would scar or be injured, they would develop what they call proud flesh, which is a very thick scarring mass, which can impede movement of the joint. Or movement of what's going on we can treat those horses at injury and the and the proud flesh or the scarring is a minimalized and, and so they have better range of motion better elasticity after everything heals thanks thanks for that now for for the medical people the proud flesh is is the uh, the horse term for what we call granulation tissue it's just as inflamed vascular uh surface over an open wound okay um as as far as uh, specific uh, approvals, uh, medical indications, you mentioned uh, you mentioned the plastic surgery. Uh, can you go into specifics uh, on the medical indications of PEMF? Uh, just uh, everything and anything that uh, that comes to mind. Sure, sure. The the modality. Um, the first approval with the FDA was for non-union. Uh, fractures, and what it would do, it was would simply energize the area and help the help the bone close that non-union or that that where that fracture was. It's and it's also approved FDA for a similar condition in uh, after spinal surgery in the back where they have a problem with it sometimes not forming together, and and the PEMF has been very beneficial to help close those unions. So that was the first. Certainly, uh, there is a device that you're familiar with, the Amcella device that is FDA approved uh, for incontinence in, in women. There is the transmagnetic stimulation devices for autism and depression that are uh, FDA approved. And just recently, a device called the Optune uh, for glioblastoma brain tumors, uh, which is a PMF device. Uh, is approved. There are a lot of devices out there. We are in the process of having our digital devices uh, FDA approved. Uh, we have ongoing studies currently uh, occurring at this point. One at the uh, Henry Ford Hospital in Detroit for venous wound healing, open wounds. One at the um, um, uh, VA Hospital in Los Angeles uh, for bed sores, again, an open type of wound, and then at the University of Miami in Florida for osteoarthritis are the three studies that we're doing. And the interesting thing here, and I, I think you might get into this in a moment when we talked a little bit about frequencies and strength, there are a lot of people out there, most of the initial studies, as I described, were done with low power machines. They got results, but it took them a great period of time to get these results. In these studies that we're conducting, we're using three different power level of machines. We're using a low power machine, a mid-range power machine, and a high power machine. All of them producing the same type of signals that I described, but they're different power levels. And our goal is to show that a high power machine has just as much healing capability and possibility as a low power machine, and it just speeds up the result along the way. So that's where we are on studies. Those are some uh, areas of FDA that where there has been approval, uh, and, and that's where we're going. Now, that's, that's a huge, huge potential advantage. If you can reduce treatment time, uh, that's, that's going to save a ton of money for, for a lot of people and a lot of time for a lot of people. And, and, and I'm sure it's, yeah. it's, we're probably looking at the future right now. Um, now, many physicians who listen to this podcast are involved in aesthetics, and many physicians who are involved in aesthetics are also involved in the field of anti-aging and enhancing performance. Can you tell me about the use of PEMF in athletics and give me a few examples? Sure. And, and of course, 
for me, it all came from the thoroughbred world and the, and the racing world, which is a whole story in itself. But it, it actually helped these horses. They came. I, I went to Dubai several years ago and, and worked with Sheikh Maktoun's folks and Sheikh Hamdan's people uh, with their horses and camels. And, and what we always talked about, a few years later, I had some group of people come over from Dubai and says, you have to help my camel run faster. And I said, I'm not going to help your camel run faster, but I will help your camel run fast longer. I will help him have a better range of motion, less pain, better oxygenation in his lungs, and allow that animal to run faster longer. And that's really where we go when we start talking about athletics. That's what's happened in the horse world, in the performance horse world. And as we move now into athletics, we're with several professional football teams. We have practitioners that work with the Broncos. We are with the Tennessee Titans, the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars, um, the Philadelphia Eagles, um, the uh, uh, Oakland Athletics baseball team, Cincinnati Reds. We're talking to the Los Angeles Dodgers maybe tomorrow. Uh, and so our list of people who are utilizing it, uh, University of Kentucky football, a lot of different uh, people are starting to use it because the quicker you get after these indications, the more rapidly you get you get improvement. And so in the athletic world, you know, a football player uh, pulls his hamstring or he gets uh, he gets it, it, something happened during the first half. It's not unusual to treat them during halftime. And in some cases, they'll even have the machines on the sideline to treat somebody if they're out of the game for a rotation or two, because it only takes three or four minutes, five minutes to get the uh, reaction or the improvement that we're looking for. Now, Pat, as someone who runs a company in this field, you must get a fair amount of feedback from your boots on the ground. What has been your experience with the tuning of the parameters on your company's machines for specific situations? For instance, how do you determine when a low energy setting is better than a high energy setting? How long do you treat a specific area? How often do you treat? Um, how, how do you decide that? Well, a couple of basic things. For years and years, the treatment time was three to five minutes per location. Now, I got involved with that timer wouldn't work because I'm working with horses. I need to be able to go 10, 20 minutes and do the whole horse without continually punching a button. But that three to four minutes is a key. So any, anything more than 15 minutes uh, is really you put as much energy into the body and it's ready to accept. So that's the parameter of time. Three to six minutes per, eight minutes per location. In terms of strength, the way we play it is comfort is the key. That's why we're doing our studies with all three power level of machines. We have found using the high power machine on a painful situation for three to five minutes on a shoulder or whatever it may be, you will get significant pain reduction, inflammation at that point. However, with, with our units, we can increase that energy. So I always say I want to be comfortable with what I'm doing. If it is uncomfortable, I want to back it off. And that's how we gauge it. Now, there are times when you have people that are extremely sensitive or whatever the situation may be. And so we put it on a setting that they may they can hear it, but they're not really feeling it. But we're still getting there. The signal will penetrate up to 16 to 20 inches, depending on moisture content, muscle thickness, so, or muscle density, so on and so forth. So you, you can get the signal in there at a, at a low power, but you're going to do it more rapidly with a higher power. So the, the, the ability of this signal to penetrate means that if, if I have a patient with, with a wound dressing, we can just put it on top of the dressing. Or if there's a cast, we can put it right on top of the cast and it'll deliver right through? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I've, I've noticed in, uh, in uh, being treated myself and watching my son and his girlfriend, who's a volleyball player, competitive level... Uh, that the uh, the more sore the muscle, the lower the energy setting needs to be. Otherwise, it, it twitches like crazy and it becomes uncomfortable. Is there a correlation with that, or it's just a, a random uh, hit or miss? How much of a boost you get if your muscles are sore? Well, everybody, if if it were on a professional athlete, they're going to tell me to turn it up. Uh, but if it does create Comfort and, and again, it varies from individual to individual. If the discomfort is there, I can penetrate all the way to her, massage her muscles without making her sore. Now, 
it's not as relaxing potentially as a full body massage. But you understand what I'm saying. We can get the depth that we need, get the penetration we want without causing soreness. And that it does the same thing when someone is sore and you put it on them, they may say that that's plenty. It, that's that's fine. Let it be there. And and then each time they'll they will improve. Thanks for that. Uh, listen, when I'm getting the treatments done, my, my wife keeps telling me to drink a lot of water. And uh, is there any specific routine that is recommended before, during, or after the session uh, as far as eating and drinking specific things? And uh, what what recommendations uh, like this uh, do people use the most and for, for what reason? A couple of things here. Metabolization is important. Uh, when we're doing this. So we, we typically, if someone is on a medication, we, our recommendation is take your medication, let it assimilate into the body, then treat. Um, and, and approach from that specifics. We like to be hydrated. We like the uh, electrolytes of the body to be, so, you know, electrolyte drink or a hydration type of drink uh, before is fine. Certainly after because it does have detoxifying, detoxifying action that is taking place. So we want to keep well hydrated uh, in that situation. But outside of that, that's pretty much it. Um, you, you, you're, there are no other real stipulations to it. All right. Now, I assume you can integrate this PEMF with just about anything. Um, can you elaborate on how some people have, have been using uh, combined therapies with PEMF and anything else? Well, sure. Uh, uh, lasers are very effective uh, in the sports world, certainly, and they're used a lot in, in the, the, the human aspect for scarring and so on and so forth. But it's very complementary with lasers, very complementary with light therapy, uh, very complementary with, with massage or vibration therapy. It's just it's going to the cellular level. A lot of these therapies, for example, laser is very effective, but it's also time consuming. And the operator has to know exactly what they're doing when you're using a class four laser. And so you have you have some things there that you really need to understand. With ours, you can you can use the laser to pinpoint and then use ours to to fertilize the whole area, if you will. You're going to do the joint let's talk about a laser a laser is very effective as we know but when you're going around the shoulder you got many points you need to work and you're not penetrating the bone whereas with with ours you're penetrating the bone the tendon tendon the cartilage the muscle everything is being energized by this particular signal and then that can work as i said very complementary with with laser, with uh, heat contrast, heat and cold contrast therapy. Uh, a lot of that's going on today and in association with what, in association with what we're doing uh, is, is very complimentary. Now, the laser you're referring to is what we call the, the cold laser. It's it's used for wound healing. It's used for pain management, not not the hot lasers that, that burn. And uh... no, it, it no cold laser. Uh, it, when I grew up with lasers, I did lasers for years. Most everybody had was a class three laser. You didn't have a lot of class four cold lasers available. There were cutting lasers, certainly, but we didn't use those for what we're discussing. But they had class three lasers. Very, They were slower. Uh, more uh, general in their application, but now with the with the uh, in, in introduction of the class four laser that you're talking about, that you do have to understand how you're setting it because you know you can almost make them hot, <laughs> and, and uh, so it does. You correct it operates with that very well. I understand. I understand. Now um, there there might be some contraindications to electromagnetic therapy with, with certain types of devices. Can, can you speak to that a little bit? Yes, anything uh, certainly uh, defibrillators, pacemakers. Now, with that said, they're making some new pacemakers that I believe they call them dual pole or something like that, to where doctors have given us permission to treat a foot away from the pacemaker, i.e. we could treat someone's hips, knees, lower back, knees, feet, so forth, and it, would, it, it will not interfere with the, with the pacemaker. Arms, hands, you can do. The biggest challenge that everyone's fearful of, we're not gonna set off a pacemaker, but we don't wanna deplete its power source. We don't right. wanna, you know, and, and, and this device could potentially deplete the power source. So we're always cautious around defibrillators uh, uh, and, and, and such. Now, there are some other 
devices that are implanted into the body, if it's an electrical device and it is implanted and battery controlled in the body, then we typically stay away from those. A lot of devices are chargeable. They'll put it in the body and it's chargeable or disconnectable. They got a port and they can disconnect it. We've been treating around those types of devices uh, for a long time, as long as they're not powered um, or powered on, if you will. Uh, we also, it, it, uh, it, we always question metal implants, rods, screws, plates, and so forth. We, it typically, it works fine uh, around those uh, uh, implanted uh, pieces that's not going to loosen screws or cause anything to move or anything like that. Uh, heat is the biggest concern, and so we test. Does, this, does someone feel heat from this? If they don't, then we go ahead and, and treat. We always, always recommend that they consult with their physician and their doctors to get clearance for, for what they're doing and what's going on. But it, typically it works fine. The only issue we've ever really had is a woman had breast cancer. They had implanted what I call a, a tip of a needle or a, a port to as a target for the radiation. That would, It was so small that it heated up. But as a rule, we don't have that type situation. So those are the contraindications and the areas that people often question can, what this can be used around. It's great stuff, Pat. Now, um, we, we talked about the, the horses. We talked about the equine injuries. Let's talk a little bit about how popular this, uh, these machines are in, in, in your industry um, and where you're seeing uh, it being used the most and where you're seeing the biggest growth in the use of this type of, of, of treatment and technology? Well, well, certainly the equine world's where we started, and, and we've had tremendous growth there. When I started, there might have been a handful of machines east of the Mississippi River. Today, there's thousands of devices uh, in the marketplace um, around the world or around the country, for sure. Um, the people that, that where we've seen growth as I said, is in the athletic world. Uh, Vijay Singh is a user um, of the device. Uh, in fact, he hadn't won for a while, for a couple of years, and started using the device two years ago in February and won his first tournament in a good while in April of that year, travels with his device uh, all the time. And then, of course, the, the professional teams uh, that are using them uh, that I described earlier is where we're seeing a lot of growth. Veterinary, small animal veterinary people are really starting to understand how it helps with arthritis and those types of conditions. Uh, and so we're seeing a lot of growth in veterinary. And then, of course, uh, the human market. In our clinic in, in Louisville, uh, we don't market it. We don't do anything. I do it. I, I have a clinic set up at this point for, for familiarization of folks that can come in and experiment. We take notes, pay attention to what they're doing. And uh, with absolutely no marketing, we are busy eight to nine hours a day with people just walking in the door, uh, wanting to feel better, relieve their pain, whatever the situation uh, might be. And it's been, you know, I've got personal stories on my own with my prostate and different ways that I have used it and, and what it's done and what we're seeing. Uh, around the world, uh, in, we're used in cancer clinics all over the world for tumor reduction, not in the United States because we're not approved to do so and don't do so. Uh, we don't go into those uh, worlds at all. Veterinarians approach that, but that's where it's going around the world, and we're certainly hoping to open that up in the United States. Now, you mentioned prostate, and uh, we, we did try it on, on a neighbor and friend who had a prostatectomy and has a chronic pain. And... Uh, we had we had the gentleman just just wear this thing on his lap, and uh, then we had him sit on the coil, and he noticed relief. He called up the next day and said, "You know what? I, I feel I feel like the the pain is relieved." So, can you tell me a little bit about that? Because we have a lot of urologists and, and people who treat these problems in, uh, in in the people who listen to this podcast. Just tell me a little bit about it, if if you if you don't mind. Well, you know, and, and so it, it comes down to, in, in the prostate situation, um, everyone in my family, four of my brothers have all had prostate surgery. Um, I'm 70 years old. I am, I'm at that point. Well, three years ago, 
went to get my physical doc says your PSA is high. I need to send you to a urologist, go to the urologist. He does the physical aspect, does a, he says, I want to do, I don't like what I'm feeling and I can't feel everything. And, uh, I want you to have a, uh, ultrasound. He did an ultrasound. He didn't like what he saw at all. He said, I want to do an MRI, did an MRI and said, I really don't like what I'm seeing. And I knew where I was going because it happened to my family. Well, the instant that my regular doctor said your PSA is high, I went to the office, I brought home a machine. I really haven't had a lot of aches and pains, so I haven't used it a lot personally, but I began using it just as you described. I'd sit on that coil twice a day for 10 to 15 minutes, and I did that every day, and it was it was 10 weeks before he could get the, the biopsy completed. When he did the biopsy, it was dead and benign. And, and I'm three years at this point, and he, he now checks me every six months, uh, but every, everything has been fine. And what I do is I continue to treat myself every day uh, just, to be <laughs> just to be proactive, if you will. But that's been my experience, and, and we've seen it in veterinary. Uh, it, will, it will help reduce tumors immediately. Uh, and, of course, that's what they're using with the glioblastoma uh, in, in brain tumors is using the magnetic fields to help keep those tumors from, from becoming aggressive. They've not been able to cure glioblastoma, certainly, but they, they have improved life and improved longevity by keeping the, the tumors from growing, keeping them uh, smaller, if you will. Uh, cancer hates oxygen, and this does nothing but help the body better utilize its oxygen. And, and so that, that's, that's some of the stuff that we've seen and what was being FDA approved with the Optune and what we've experienced personally and through the veterinary world with tumor reduction or just inflammation reduction in general. And that's the situation with the prostate. That's impressive. We, we did a, uh, uh, for years, there, there's a countless studies that have been done on PEMF, but very rarely, uh, do you, and companies use these studies all the time to talk about what PEMF does, but very rarely today have companies done studies utilizing their particular equipment. We first did it in Cuba, we were, because the Cuban medical uh, system is, is pretty progressive around the world. Um, and so we were able to get a machine into Cuba and we did a study on prostate, a study on uh, incontinence, a study on, artho, on arthritis uh, type of conditions uh, and w with very good results. And a couple of the studies have been, have been published, but we just wanted to do something with our equipment. And, and that's what we've been able to do. And we have documentation of that also. That's great. That's great. It's really an exciting time and an exciting field and uh, really, really uh, exciting technology. Um, Pat, I'm browsing your LinkedIn profile right now, and you are an entrepreneur and a good one. Many of these people who follow me are also entrepreneurs, and they might like this part of our conversation the most. Uh, I see that you graduated from the University of Southern Indiana in 1972, that's when my wife was born, with a Bachelor of Science in <laughs> Mass Communication and Media Studies, and that you started MagnaWave in 2002. So that's a 30-year span of time. Let's talk about your career leading up to your involvement with, uh, with PEMF. Oh boy, uh, I'll, I'll do it quickly. But when I when I graduated, radio and television was my desire. Marketing primarily. I was in uh, television sales. Uh, my family owned funeral homes, and uh, we had an ambulance service, and I participated in that to a degree. Uh, when my father died, uh, my brother and I purchased the funeral homes, and so I was full time there. But my one of my biggest deals was the ambulance service, the paramedic aspect. So I became an EMP, EMT, was studying to become a um, paramedic, uh, but I decided that that business wasn't for me. We were very, we developed it. That's a whole marketing strategy. Another talk that I've covered in, in some, I've written three different books, uh, all three bestsellers, doing my fourth one now uh, that'll be released probably in the next 
four months or so with Dr. Bruce Lipton, uh, is the lead author in this particular book, uh, on brain health, actually, is what we're dealing with. But with that said, I didn't like the funeral business, wanted to get out, so I got out and uh, went into a communications business, uh, built it up very successfully, broke it up and sold it off in seven different uh, uh, areas, and I moved to Louisville, Kentucky as a consultant for Pizza Today magazine in their marketing uh, area. Uh, but my background before that, when I grew up, my mother had horses. So I was around horses and I understood horses. Well, to kind of bring that to fruition, uh, Pizza Today was sold and, and they went away. So I had to find something else to do. So I started selling. A friend of mine said, I got some friends who need to sell some air charters. So I started selling air charter services and grew a charter company from three aircraft to 12 aircraft. Uh, I was awarded a contract at Louisville International Airport to take over their charter services and maintenance services for overflow UPS aircraft. And I did that in 2001. And in September of 2001, as we all know, 9-11 uh, occurred and it crippled the aviation industry, crippled my new business. Uh, and we survived until February. Uh, so I had to find something to do. And um, a friend of mine said, well, I got a guy in in Canada selling PEMF, low-powered equipment, needs some help at Churchill Downs. Would you like to talk to him? And I said, yes. And I talked to him and and uh, became familiar with his PEMF equipment and uh, went straight to Churchill Downs. And, and uh, it was like a duck to water. It went very well and, and things were good, uh, but I really couldn't replace where I was in the aviation business financially. Um, until we found this particular piece of equipment, we re-engineered it, repackaged it, branded it as MagnaWave, uh, started getting serious in how we were going to market it, and uh, uh, to a point, the rest is is history. We're probably one of the largest uh, PMF companies in the in the country, uh, and, and uh, very successful from that perspective. That's a great story, absolutely, uh, survivor and warrior. Uh, now, what was the original business model that, that you started with? Well, originally, when I started with PMF, I was I was selling equipment. I was selling equipment that I'd go back into the. It was low power, and what I would often see is I'd go back into the barn and they'd use it as long as they had their their grooms and people taking the time to use it. And it was time consuming, as I pointed out. It was thirty minute to an hour long treatments, and so quite often it wasn't used as much. So when I found this high power device, my goal was to be become a practitioner. Now, you know, I mentioned uh, that I had. Uh, EMT training and studying to be a paramedic. And of course, my, my mortuary school was heavy on, on anatomy and microbiology and pathology. So I had more of a background in the, in the sciences than I realized. And so when I became a practitioner to go out and treat horses, uh, that's what I was leaning on. Because they kept looking at this crazy guy dragging this machine around who's a salesman and trying to tell me he knows how to fix my horse. I mean, it was, it was crazy. It was the crazy guy to Dr. Voodoo to Dr. Somebody, not doctor, but you know what I mean. They were calling me Dr. Voodoo. And, and uh, to this, this must be working, but it's got to be illegal to the point that the veterinarians were saying, I got to do this because my customers are demanding it. I mean, it just flowed in that progression. Why? Because it works. It, it relieved inflammation, took away pain, allowed the horses to better perform. Right. So that, that was kind of the transition there. But my deal was to be a practitioner. So, so how did you evolve fr from that to, to the strategy that you have now? And, and if you could just define that for, for the audience, what, what your current strategy is. Yeah, okay. Well, so we got in, we, I got into, uh, uh, I'd leave in November and come home in April, and I'd be treating horses all over the country. And uh, uh, came home one, one April, and my wife said, I'm not doing this anymore. And I thought she was going to leave me. And she says, no, I'm selling the house, going to get in the bus with you, and away we go. Well, we spent seven years full time on the road at every horse show, chiropractic show, uh, any event we could go to, racetrack, treating horses and, and and doing this. But along the way, I'd drop into St. Louis, treat some horses and get ready to leave. And they say, wait a minute, you're leaving. We got to figure out how to do this. I want to buy a machine. And so I, my manufacturer, we got together and started sell. I started selling machines and uh that was that was the biggest change. My biggest challenge that I had at that point is when I realized that I had a bunch of practitioners out there that didn't want to compete with me. Uh, 
And so I had to stop being a practitioner and become a marketing assistant, if you will, training these folks, uh, giving them ideas how to use it and what to do, traveling and, and introducing them to folks. So that was the biggest challenge. I built up a nice living treating horses and small animals and people. Uh, but when I stopped, it took about six or eight months to recover because people just weren't buying, you know, $21,000 machines. They don't fall off the shelf. And, and so it took some time to make that change. Uh, but that took a lot of marketing. And that's about the time that Facebook was just beginning. And so I became a, um, actually, I've started my internet deal, which has been the way to, to do it with the member of the good, uh, the, the chat rooms, the Yahoo chat rooms and yeah. all those places. Well, I'd go to the horse chat rooms or, or this, you know, to go to these places and, and talk with these folks. But, but Facebook changed the game uh, for me. Uh, when I realized that 90% of my business, one way or another, was going through Facebook, I was able to get out of the bus and come home and live in a house again. <laughs> and and uh, But that's that's how that progressed. And, and along the way, I did things. I became a video believer at the very beginning. Of course, I was a radio and television guy, right? So I figured I need to understand video and audio and how to apply this. And I, I started doing it as soon as it was available as soon as I got my first phone that would record videos, I was doing it and putting it up. And it basically, and, and the books have, have given me great credibility. Uh, people like that. They like that credibility. So, you know, from the entrepreneurial standpoint, when people are out there to, to step out and look at things that they can do, there is so much that they can do that, that sets them apart from the other players. Yeah, I think that the timing of getting in early on Facebook and getting in early on YouTube gave you... Uh, Less less competition because right now the the internet is so noisy that uh, it's it's a lot harder to break in that way. Um, but also coming from from a niche industry where you knew the people, uh, you know, I'm sure that that gave you the uh, the edge as well. Um, but what was the hardest part about scaling? Because you know you're going to create a demand for product, and you you may not be able to finance what what's being uh, purchased and i've seen a bunch of companies go under because they you know they have an order for x number of units and they can't keep up with it well and and probably you really just said a mouthful the the, the biggest challenge that we had when it came to scaling was was price if for better lack of a better price stability um I've seen companies, just as you just mentioned, I've seen plenty of companies come and go in the PMF space because, well, I got to be able to sell it cheaper and I got to be able to make it available to the masses, all of which is true and all of which we want to do. But the bottom line is you have to survive. If you want to provide health stuff to these people, you have to be able to stick around and take care of their equipment or train them or do the deal. And so that became price. I had to hold my price. I had to justify that our equipment would, would return that price or that value to these people. And it does. And But that was, that was hard. That was really tough because you want to give it away. I gave away treatments, certainly, all the time in order to get people believing in what I was doing. But I had to know when to stop. I had to know when to pull it in and walk away because then they'd come knocking on my door, come help my horse or come help my dog or come help my back. And, and so it, it, it was that kind of thing. So it was, I had to stay. I had to understand what I was worth and I had to, to state that. And the people that didn't do that are not here. The people that did are here. When I started, I had no competitors, none. Uh, today, uh, I don't have a lot, but there's a lot of very serious competitors. There are, you know, there's eight to 10 very serious competitors out there and some of them I created myself uh, you know how that goes but um, that's where it came from so it was perseverance to maintain the quality and to charge for that quality I got it now if you could go back to 2002 with what you've learned from from then until now is there any specific advice you would give yourself about doing anything differently yeah, I would have made my I would have gone back to my roots of education, the paramedic, the microbiology, the anatomy, the pathology and all of that stuff. If I'd have done that from the get go, 
and and been able to sell myself that I understood. I was not practicing medicine, you understand, but I understood what I was delivering and I could explain it to you. Uh, I would have done that from day one. But what I did from day one is I put on my sales hat because I had to eat. I had to figure out how to make money. So I was simply selling and not as initially concerned about what was happening. But when I found the high power machine that would make things happen immediately, I had to be able to stand up to it and back it up. So that's what I would have done in 2002. I'd have finished crossing my T's and dotting my I's when I entered into the industry. I understand. Who, who are the business leaders that, that you think uh, you admire the most, that, that uh, their advice has served you the best in your career? Well, you know, I, I, when I was a kid and I'm coming up, the Mustang was just introduced. And so I, I've always looked up to Lee Iacocca and as an innovator and, and, um, and doing things like that. And I've, and I've kind of pulled on that uh, all of my businesses that I've operated and been involved in, uh, or we're all based on brand and all based on, on that image, if you will. And so, um, I've, I've been big to do that throughout the entire time. And that's why, you know, our brand with MagnaWave and, and where we're going, people want to buy into that success. They, they, they want you because of your name and what you've done and what you've established. And we're doing the same thing, except we're doing it with a device. And, and so that, that has been very important to us. So Lee Iacocca, the Ford family, because they were individuals and you could kind of, you know, here I am, I'm, I was, I am a car guy. And, and so I followed all that kind of, that type of stuff. But today I, I look at, certainly I look at the, the technology people because I have been a technology person throughout my entire uh, career. Uh, my my funeral home was the first one of the first ones in the country put to put portable computers uh, into the into the business and utilize it and and uh, things that we did increased our business just doing that by twenty percent over some of our players competing players in the in the in the area. So the technology aspect has been very important to me. So today, you know, I look at the Zuckerbergs and all those kind of people. And, and but the, the person that I follow most today uh, is are a couple of people. But the one I listen to the most is Gary Vaynerchuk. Uh, uh, Gary is cutting edge on his uh, podcast and marketing ideas. And so I just look for little things that I can he'll say that I can throw into our business and, and uh, get it to do some good for us. And it works. Got to do it all the time. I got to stay in touch. Are you talking to another Gary V junkie right here? The guy, the guy is absolutely brilliant, and he comes from not too far, not too far from from where I live. Now, th this is my 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 finisher question, and and I ask it because it, it's a really good one, I think. If Mark Zuckerberg gave you control of Facebook tomorrow, and gave you total control under the following conditions, you may post whatever you want. However, you may never post again, and no one in the world may ever post again. Your post will be the only thing that anyone will see on Facebook until the end of time. What would it say? Well, from a, uh, that's a great question. Um, from a, and I'm going to use a couple of quotes if I may, but from, okay. from a business, from a business angle, I would pull uh, from Paul Zane Pilzer, uh, it's not the big that eat the small, that's the fast that eat the slow. Um, and I would, then I would say, and this is from actor uh, Leonard Nimoy, uh, the miracle is this, the more you share, the more you have. And to me, that is, I've shared, my goal is to share PEMF energy and PEMF uh, with people all over the world. Um, and and to help them leave healthier, happier lives, uh, and so I share in order to gain, and and that's what it would be. The more we share, the more we have. That's beautiful. On that note, I think we're going to conclude. Pat Zemer, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to hang out with the top cosmetic gynecologists. Hey, I've enjoyed it. I really look forward to maybe some future conversations. And, and you're an area that we want to grow into. So thank you very much. Definitely. Over and out. Share this podcast and this website and this blog with the people in your life who you feel 
would benefit from this information.